But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then it will come about the thing as written, death is swallowed up in victory. So when does that occur? Uh, I mean, there's a hint here, but it doesn't, doesn't occur in this life because the bodies of Christians, non-Christians as well, are, are still in the grave. So this is, this is what, uh, this is what we're waiting for. Um, And so Murray says, uh, it occurs at the coming of Christ in glory. Uh, and it is that point that the final redemption of the whole person, body and spirit, are conformed to the image of Christ. Starting point, our salvation, continuation by the progressive sanctification of the spirit, uh, affected finally when Christ comes again. Uh, let's look at some important texts here. Uh, Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 21. Uh, Paul uh, references this. Uh, I mean, let's, let's read verse 20 as well. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice what... Uh, what this waiting for the Savior, His appearing, His coming, what it accomplishes. Verse 21, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He is even to subject all things to Himself. So the final conformity, Christ has His glorified body at His resurrection. We will be finally conformed to the totality uh, of who he is uh, when uh, when he comes and uh, by his power uh, to conform us uh, uh, to the image of his glory. Uh, but notice notice again uh, what's what's really important in my mind in this text, uh, verse twenty, from which we also eagerly wait. Uh, there is a measure of duty in that. We are waiting for the Lord, but we're not just waiting around uh, for time to pass uh, in this life. Uh, we, are, we are waiting by laying hold of the means of grace. Uh, so there's uh, uh, the aspect of our participation in our progressive sanctification. Being diligent, uh, uh, if you will, diligent waiting by doing the things that he has told us to do. Uh, watching and looking and being very, very careful. Uh, walking circumspectly. Uh, so, uh, we eagerly await. Uh, but it's a faithful waiting. Uh, we don't lose hope because they know he's going to come for us. Uh, great, great hope of the Christian. Um, uh, we enter it uh, together. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verses 16 and 17. Let's, let's, let's begin reading verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, 
that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those uh, who have fallen asleep. A euphemism for, for death. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So, uh, this is a, uh, a classic text in my mind uh, that uh, uh, references uh, the, the concept of the rapture. Um, in, in ancient times, when a dignitary was coming to a city, uh, the citizens of the city would go out of the city to usher him in to the, to the city. So, um, when Christ comes, and, and notice it's, it's visible, uh, and it's loud, and there's a trumpet of God, uh, the dead in Christ will rise, and we go to meet the Lord, and then we come back to the earth as He begins uh, in my understanding of eternity, and what I believe is that that inaugur that starts the uh, the eternal age. Uh, he comes uh, to rescue his uh, sons, uh, and he comes to effect the eternal judgments. So, um, uh, but that that to me is the concept of the rapture, uh, a very popular notion in dispensationalism, certainly classic dispensationalism. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit in the future, uh, but that but that there is a secret coming of Christ, where he uh, raptures uh, all of his sons and daughters off the earth. They just simply disappear. Okay, um, but it's secret. To me, um, if you look at the, all the references, certainly in the Gospel of Matthew, the coming of Christ. Uh, it's very, very difficult to establish a secret coming. Uh, this is visible, it's loud, um, uh, but um, classic dispensationalists uh, hold to this uh, secret coming. Um, so it's not a, not a position uh, I, I hold to. Um, Let's turn back to 1 Corinthians 15. Talk a little bit about things uh, that occur uh, to us uh, at His coming. Uh, we read we read previously uh, that this perishable uh, will we'll we'll put on the imperishable. Um, let's let's look at. Uh, contextually a little little bit uh, by going up to verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Okay, So, th so there's a dramatic change that's going to occur. And that's the glorification of our bodies in conformity with the glory of Christ. Okay. And that's how we enter uh, the eternal estate. 
uh, he, he, he changes us. Uh, we put on uh, the imperishable. And that is when uh, uh, our bodies are resurrected and changed. Finally, totally, and irrevocably, and in the eternal state, there's no longer any occasion whatsoever uh, for there to be a fall. Um, sin at that point is eradicated. Um, notice, uh, uh, notice, uh, verse 50, uh, perishable shall not, uh, inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? So he's gonna make us imperishable. But notice how we enter that kingdom. We enter it through the new birth. John 3. Except you be born again, uh, you will not see the kingdom of God. So we enter the kingdom through the new birth, which we begins the spiritual transformation of the inner man. Okay? So he starts in the spiritual first. Uh, here, here is phase two, if you want to look at it in that way. Here's phase two of the great promise of our redemption. Uh, starts with the inner man, starts with our spirit, okay, where he, he changes us, he makes us alive. Uh, begins sanctification, but here it's completed uh, in the physical body. Uh, our bodies uh, are are changed, uh, and hence the, to me I, I love this text, uh, verse fifty one, and we shall be changed. Okay? Not maybe, we shall be changed. He's going to change the external man. At his coming, if, uh, any Christians that are in the grave will be resurrected, their bodies changed. There'll be Christians that are alive at that time, uh, they will be changed too. But, but notice to me the criticality of it, uh, it starts within before it occurs without. Okay. Uh, and that's the point that our redemption is forever incomplete until Christ comes again to change us totally and finally and irrevocably. Okay. Uh, if we die as Christians uh, before the coming of Christ, our our spirits uh, go to be with the Lord. But this is a bodily resurrection, uh, the changing of the body. Uh, notice... Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Notice, uh, notice the similarity between this and First uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, that some people say is a reference to a secret rapture. There was a trumpet there. Well, there's a trumpet here. Maybe they're the same event. Which would be my, which would be my understanding. Okay, that's uh, not you know. If there's a loud trumpet, there can't can't be secret. At least in my, <clears throat> at least in my mind. Uh, but that's I mean those are such those are such beautiful words. We shall be changed. Okay, um, you know as we get older. You know, I, I think we should fall all the more in love with that because we get older, we, have, we you know, our bodies begin to break, our health begins to fail, uh, you know, um, you know, all the things that happen. Um, but, uh, 
Uh, but for the Christian, it should incite within us the, the greater hope that, um, you know, this is not the end. Uh, the outer man is decaying, but God's going to change that. So, um, so great, great promise. Uh, trust, uh, trust it's an encouragement. Uh, so we enter it together, and obviously it is instantaneous in the moment, twinkling of an eye. So this is a, I mean, this is a good reminder of, uh, of the majesty of, uh, of the power of, uh, the power of God in our salvation that's really tied to God as the creator. Uh, in, you know, in the, in, in the Old Testament, we, we learn that God created the heavens and the earth just by speaking a word. Uh, he speaks, uh, and there's a sun. He speaks, uh, and there's, uh, birds and animals, uh, and he, you know, creates man just, just by speaking. So that's, that's, there's a parallel here, uh, because here, uh, uh, we, we are reminded, at least I'm reminded, that when we come to the New Testament, uh, Christ is the creator of the new creation. Uh, that begins with uh, the new birth. Uh, starting phase one uh, in our salvation, concluding phase two in our uh, final glorification. Uh, how can that be? Because God's creator. If he could create the world by simply speaking, and that's what Genesis 1 teaches us, then here it's the same way. He comes with a shout and we're changed. So he just you know, commands, because that's what God is able to do. So we see all along the way is the majesty of the power of God. Remember, we started our study with the nature of God. Uh, one of the attributes of God was His omnipotence. He, he, he has all power. So, you know, He can do these things. Now, and, and that's, that's the nature of the God that we serve. You know, the omnipotent God. Um, so, um, Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. Talk a little bit about the nature, uh, nature of the change. Okay. We will, uh, we'll read verse 26. Uh, concept of, obviously, uh, duty of love. Uh, if you will, verse 25, husband loves your wives, just as also Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, notice the purpose of it, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle nor, or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. That's an uh, element of, uh, of our glorified bodies. No spot or wrinkle, but that, but that uh, we will be holy and blameless. Present to himself the church in all her glory. So Christ's love is the transforming power of his church, his bride. Uh, 
Paul is using that to teach, to teach husbands to love their wives. But, but here it's based on the great uh, model of Christ uh, who loves his church. His bride is the church. Um, so uh, we are uh, we are made uh, holy and blameless uh, uh, because of uh, because of uh, uh, Christ's love for his uh, Christ's love for his church. Um, God down here Romans eight nineteen. What is Murray. Yeah, so Paul, uh, Paul here uses uh, the analogy of the creation uh, by telling us that the creation itself is eagerly awaiting this event. Because remember, in the curse, the, the, the creation was corrupted. We were corrupted because of what Adam did, but so was the entire creation. And so, I mean, there's I mean, the figure of speech is personification. Uh, the creation is, you know, made like a, you know, a person. Again, figure of speech. But the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Okay. Um, verse twenty. Let's read verse twenty twenty one. For the creation was subject. Pardon me, subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So again, personification, I mean, look at it. We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. So the great uh, you know, repairs to this great metaphor of uh, uh, of the woman who's with child. She's going to experience pain, uh, but when the child is born, there's great great celebration, and the pain is forgotten. Now, I don't I don't know that experientially, uh, but certainly when my sons were born, kind of kind of born out, if you will, um, um, you know, the great. Uh, uh, revealing of the birth of the child, or the great revealing of the sons of God in glory. Um, and, you know, in this difficult time, look at the grace of God. Um, verse 25, verse 26. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So the you know, grace of God praying for us. We also know that Jesus prays for us as our great high priest, uh, but provision of the grace of God. Um, So obviously associated uh, with with the coming of Christ in glory and the renewal of the creation and reversal of the curse. So so at the, so at the coming of Christ in glory, uh, there's this entire reversal of the curse. Starts because of the Garden of Eden. Remember in the Garden of Eden before the fall, 
everything was everything was perfect. Okay, there was no sin. You know, there was no flu. There was no cancer. Um, um, Adam sins. Because of sin, there's punishment. So God curses uh, not only Adam, but he also curses the earth. And uh, uh, hence we have uh, all of the difficulties of this life, which includes uh, many, many miseries. Now it's all finally cured. Now it's totally reversed. Uh, so what Christ has set in motion uh, in the new birth uh, he begins to perfect in the inner man. He totally completes, and the curse is uh, forever eradicated. And uh, we enjoy fellowship with God just as uh, Adam uh, and Eve did before the fall. Uh, so, um, uh, and that enjoyment should begin now, but it will be uh, perfected when He comes again. You know, I remind you of the shorter catechism. What's the chief end of man? Uh, chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We enjoy Him now, but we certainly will enjoy Him in the eternal estate. Uh, you know, it's not this silly notion of, you know, playing harps on a cloud. Uh, uh, it's intense, intense, radical, enjoyment. Um, and we, we will have it world without end. Uh, and associated with it is the renewal of the creation uh, and, and the reversal of the curse. Let's, let's turn back to, well, let's look at Romans chapter 8. Um, You know, right now the creation has been subjected to futility, uh, uh, corruption, uh, and it's waiting for the freedom of the glory of children of God. Uh, notice, uh, notice uh, references tying this into uh, the doctrine of perseverance and our assurance and security of the believer which many Christian denominations reject, we affirm it uh, because it's taught in the Scriptures. Um, um, latter part of, uh, of Romans uh, chapter 8, um, nothing can separate us uh, from the love of God in Christ. Rhetorical question, verse 35. Uh, and, and notice... Notice uh, references uh, to uh, distress and persecution and even tribulation. Verse 37, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him He loved us. Doctrine of perseverance tied with uh, the assurance of the faith uh, based on love of Christ. And then Paul concludes the, the text, for I'm convinced... Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, our affirmation of the assurance and security of the believer based upon the love of Christ. 
Um, and uh, in all these things, we persevere and we conquer, we overcome all the difficulties because of him who loved us. The energizing force we know to be the power of the Spirit present within us, who is the enabling uh, grace, um, um, and then, of course, the love of Christ. So uh, I've never never been able to comprehend those Christian denominations that, uh, that uh, deny um, security and assurance, but uh, certainly they are uh, in... Uh, sadly, they're in the majority, uh, but that shouldn't deter us. Uh, scriptures is, is our final authority. But nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in, in Christ. Um, second, uh, second Peter, uh, verse 3.13 Uh, but according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Okay. Notice, I, I let me pick up and emphasize something. I mentioned earlier concept of eagerly waiting. Uh, in, in a measure, this defines a measure of that. Um, Let's read, go back to verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will all be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the day of God on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements melt uh, with intense heat uh, but according to his promise, we're looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Okay? He's going to destroy the old because it's been corrupted, but he's going to make it new, and that's what we're looking for. Uh, but there's references there, as you know, uh, what sort of people ought we to be, verse 11? Holy conduct and godliness. Uh, because uh, we're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, and that is our hope. Titus, uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Uh, who gave himself up for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possessions, zealous for good works or good deeds. Uh, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Okay. Um, so that's our, uh, that is our blessed hope. Um, and, and that's why we uh, persevere. Uh, in uh, godliness, 
uh, eagerly awaiting, uh, being faithful to wait, uh, looking to the end, uh, knowing that in God's own time, uh, he will come and rescue his church. Uh, I've always been uh, very fond of uh, Psalm 73. Uh, uh, you know, texts like verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee, I desire nothing on the earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So we're to, um, we're to wait for the Lord uh, as our hope. Um, and he will, uh, he will guide us. Uh, he will guide us with his counsel that you and I have in the Scripture, uh, certainly in the church. Um, and afterwards, uh, he, will, he will receive us into glory. So, uh, Paul also says, you know, comfort one another uh, with these words. Um, Now, uh, as in every aspect of, of, uh, of our faith, um, there are people who um, deny uh, that the um, uh, body will be glorified. Uh, uh, there are people uh, within the realm of Christianity, so they say, that affirm that the second coming has already occurred. Uh, and there's really no final end of our redemption like what we've been talking about. Of course, we, we, uh, we, we uh, emphatically reject all of these things. Uh, our hope is the second coming. Uh, it's the uh, final uh, aspect of our salvation in, in our glorification. Uh, and we, we wait for it eagerly. Um, so, with, with glorification, the entire drama of redemption uh, is, is completed. Um, any, any, any questions? Um, uh, the, uh, the doctrine of the second coming really is an essential uh, element of orthodox Christianity. If people deny that, they are unorthodox and outside of the faith. Because one of the things that they're essentially occurring is, there, is there not, there's not really a total final answer to sin and corruption. We affirm there is. And that is uh, our transformation into, in, into total glory. So um, just, just keep that in mind, that there is going to be a visible, literal coming of Christ in, 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 in glory, uh, if you will, the second coming. 
His first coming is to change the heart. Second coming to change the body. So, uh, I like to think of it in this way. Our redemption has two phases. Phase one, (laughs) phase two. Uh, Because of phase one, phase two is certain. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, that's the promise that uh, Christ doesn't lose any of us. He's going to affect phase two when he comes. Uh, And he doesn't lose anybody uh, in the process. Contra, sad to say, many, many Christian denominations in which you can lose yourself. Uh, I've I've never really understood that um, because it vacates... uh, Hope and certainty. So, but nonetheless, uh, okay, the hour is gone. Uh, you know your assignment next time is to uh, read the Cambridge Declaration. Uh, um, it is, uh, it is uh, uh, an answer, if you will, of, uh, of, uh, of, refer- of reformed men uh, who are speaking to the church uh, uh, because it's, uh, if you will, slipped into deception. Uh, I think it's worth, you know, worthwhile reading uh, because it's also an affirmation which you can see, hopefully as you read through it, uh, the fact that uh, Grace Bible Church uh, um, affirms our hope in the great solas of the Reformation. Okay, well, let's let's close in a word of prayer. Uh, Father, what a beautiful thing to be reminded of our great hope that we shall be changed. Uh, may it encourage us and uh, give us strength and perseverance and uh, may it remind us of uh, the glories of our salvation and the hope of the gospel. And um, may therefore, in like manner, we wait eagerly for it uh, by righteous living, godly conduct, uh, earnestly praying uh, for that great final event. And uh, we do remember the prayer of the Apostle John, final uh, verses of the New Testament, uh, uh, come quickly, Lord, and certainly he is coming for us. Uh, May that keep us and be a part of our perseverance. For the glory of His name we pray. Amen.